This is the We Are Outdoorsmen podcast, built by outdoorsmen for outdoorsmen, presented by Herod Outdoors and Max Luer. Top line. Top line just got this. Yes, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> that was my fit. There we go. Oh, she does it again. Welcome back to the We Are Outdoorsman podcast presented by Herod Outdoors and Max Lure. Season two is here. We are out of hibernation. We're back. We're going to be doing podcasts again. We got a little busy at the end of last year, wrapped up the season a little early. But uh, we're, we're excited about where the podcast is going this year. We're going to have a ton of guests. We have one on today's show. We have a lot to fill you in on. We don't have enough time to talk about everything that's happened since September. We just wrapped up hunting season. Well, these guys did. I, I'm not a big game hunter. I'm a big fish hunter. Don't catch those either. <laughs> I'm just the producer, okay? <laughs> sure, whatever. Uh, on the show today, we have uh, Mike Herod, Richie's cousin. They're going to talk a little bit about some quail hunting. Yeah, what have you guys been up to? I mean, I've seen you, but what do you? What do the listeners want to know? What you guys have been doing? Hunting. Yeah, they've been that, hunting. It's that time Hunting's, of year. Yep. Well, it's about over, but it's been that time of year. Yes, is, it has. Has it been hunting or killing? I've been killing. I killed. Yeah. Bob, that, that, Bobby didn't kill, but I killed. Well, Bobby, no, I got, did. Bobby got I, a kill. Yeah, I did. You know, hey, it was a booby prize, but I mean, you know, no big deal. After 23 years, no, no big deal. Yeah, he did get it. That's a nice buck. I don't care what he says. Let's, well, let's hear about the buck. Well, I after 23 years and you finally draw a, a tag in a unit that's uh, very desirable and, you know, you don't get any type of weather and nothing works right. We're up on the hill. You got five guys that can see animals better than 99.9% of the people on the planet. and From the truck? No, shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we saw in, in uh, I really only hunted hard uh, four days for that in that unit. And it was just because of the weather. It, it was so unseasonably warm this year that... You, you know, just we, you didn't really get what you needed. Oh no, no, that's a whole total migration, yeah. migrational uh, tag. Which is so weird to even be talking about that as we sit here with the yeah. snow up to our eyeballs. Exactly, you uh, know, it, yeah, it hit a month late. I hate the snow. Yeah, so you oh. didn't get the weather. Uh, no. the, the deer really didn't come down from the high country like you'd hoped. No, we uh, we saw a lot of animals. I finally uh, finally decided that it was just time. Mm-hmm. And uh, pulled the trigger on the, you know, nice 24-inch four-point. But I felt gypped. But, you know, I mean, how can how can you feel gypped when you kill a nice 24-inch well, four-point? that was my whole point is it I is know. a nice buck. And I, yeah. I get it. It took a long time to draw that tag. And, and what you hope for when you have a tag like that is that you shoot a really nice head. But yeah. I think the buck you got is, was nice. I'd have been happy with it. But I'm a bow hunter, so that's a different story. Well, it, it, you know, and, and there again, like I said, I, I, I'm, I'm never going to downplay shooting an animal. You know, they're beautiful. Yeah. They're, it was a beautiful head. But, but what you were looking for, yeah, right. you know, I it, get it. What, what, your, what your desires were, they just weren't in the cards. Right. Just weren't in the cards. Yeah, when you, when you don't really get to hunt an area every year or every other year and you get a golden ticket. Yeah. Then you think, man, here's my chance. And then basically you shoot what would be a nice buck in any normal year. Yeah. 
but it's not the golden ticket buck, right? Sure, yeah, sure. I mean, that's kind of the thing. I yeah. get, I totally get it. You know, it, it, it was it was a cool day though. I I, I got to tell you, I, I've never seen anything like it. Before daylight, pulling up there, it's thirty eight degrees and the wind is just howling. We sit down there and we talk for about ten minutes and and decide where we're going and everybody's going to go look and and try to find something and we take off and you got to cut ten trees out of the road just to get up the road that you're going up. Yeah. And then by the time you get up on top where you're, you're wanting to look, and it's blowing in excess of 65 miles an hour. Holy smokes. And the temperature had gone up to 71 degrees. Yeah, that was bizarre, wasn't it? Oh, it, it was unbelievable. It was really weird. Oh, it, it I was just... That, uh, Do you remember that? Yeah. That was so weird. Oh, it was just a totally bizarre morning. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I finally told those guys, I said, you know what? All the animals were holding in pockets because, you know, they're trying to stay out of the big timber. They don't want to be in the big timber. Scares them, wind. yeah, big timber. You know, and they're trying to stay in little pockets, so you're mm. trying to find animals. And I finally called everybody, and I said, you know what? I'm going to find. I'm gonna pull the trigger. I'm going to try to find this one particular buck that we'd seen the right. day before that we had at 100 yards right. that we let go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to try to find that buck, and, and we're going to be done with this. You know, of course, you couldn't find that deer. Right. Found all the animals that were with it, but couldn't find that deer. Yeah. But just happened to find a, a, another one down in a pocket. Did did the whole 900-yard uh, sneak and belly crawled and got down there, and the animal was right where, where we left it and ended up shooting it and getting that animal. But, you know, it, I can't complain. Can't complain no, at all. It sounds like it was a fun hunt. It's it a, was. It's a, it memor- was. it's a memorable one for sure. Because Extremely memorable. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I got lucky, and I shot a buck. I got a nice little three-by-four. He wasn't huge, but given the circumstances, I was pretty happy. We had the same experience even in the late archery season that you had. We didn't get the weather. Right. And that is so, you know, we're so dependent on weather for that hunt. And sure. And this year, unbeknownst to us and everybody else, the state decided to shorten our season another three days. <laughs> And so, Welcome you know, to Washington. yeah, well, you know, uh, bow hunting's about having opportunities and 10 days is, is not bad. Now seven, one of those days being Thanksgiving, you know, my wife said, you're not hunting on that day. <laughs> so it's really six, it's really six days of archery hunting uh, sure. up here where we normally go. And, and we didn't really get the weather. There were some deer in there. We had a couple stocks on smaller deer. Uh, my son-in-law, Chris and I were hunting together and we camped hiked in and camped, which was really a lot of fun. The hunt the hunt was memorable, but we just didn't see the bucks that we saw last year because we didn't have the weather. So then I uh, decided to go out to the basin because there's a unit out there that's open later into December. Well, I hurt myself. I fell. Richie took a tumble. <laughs> I fell. We're sitting here laughing and he about he's, died. He's like, these guys are laughing. but no, I, If he would have broke a bone, I would have felt bad. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonder I didn't. Just but anyway. bruised all of them. <clears throat> yeah, I had, putting I had, up Christmas lights. Yeah, let's yeah. see. Here's your signs. here's your here's your safety message. No, anyway, <clears throat> but yeah, I I decided to ride a ladder all the way to the concrete. Yeah, bunged up my ribs real bad, and so wasn't sure I was gonna even pull my bow back. <clears throat> but I sucked it up and pulled it back one day, and then I suffered for about three hours, and I thought, okay, well I pulled it back, so that's good enough. <laughs> And uh, went out there and hunted in the wide open. And um, the second to the last day of the season, I can't believe it, but I actually 
got this buck and it was it was like shooting it in the lawn it was so wide open i can't even hardly believe i made that stock but so i was nice. super i was super pumped i'll never forget that hunt and and then of course it took two days to recover from that because by the time i <laughs> pulled the bow back and hiked out there and quartered this thing i was a wreck oh i but, bet but anyway, i didn't realize that it was all worth it I didn't realize that your harvest was post-fall. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, yeah. I wasn't even sure I was going to be able to. I see I wasn't able to hunt the last day and a half of the season up here because of, of the fall. And then I wish we the, had it on video. I wish you had like a fall. ring or something, a ring yeah. camera. <laughs> well, there's, there, there's still some evidence out there on the wall. Oh, I, I can, can see show it. you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where the it's ladder gonna, went Rich, down there. Yeah, yeah Richie right. needs to get a new paint job, too. Yeah, you need a paint job. At this point. Anyway, Did you get the lights down? Oh, my, I had my son rip them down. Oh. <laughs> He's reached that point. Yeah. No more ladders for Richie. No, no more ladders. Anyway, so yeah, that's what that's what we're up to. Bobby and I killed deer. I got to uh, film a really cool elk hunting show. Yeah. I went down to back to eastern Oregon, further south than where I grew up, and hunted with my cousins and their kids, their daughters especially, in the juniper country, some elk hunting, and, and we got elk killed on film by a 12-year-old girl. and Awesome. It's, it was, we were on horseback. Oh, yeah, I saw It's going to be a great show uh it's a great story beautiful country and getting kids involved in the outdoors that way so it's well it was family so it's special to me but that's going to be a great show to share with everyone awesome well yeah these guys i i didn't do any hunting i uh <laughs> to be honest i didn't do a whole lot of fishing either <laughs> i uh i've just done a lot of anything other than well i just know. ate i ate and plumped up for winter <laughs> You're getting ready for ice fishing. Getting ready for ice fishing, yeah, it's my favorite. That's right. Catching one pound (laughs) fish through frozen stuff. I still got a little bit of bird hunting left to do. I'm hoping to head down to southeast Oregon here soon and close out the waterfowl season with some friends and my brother. I did a little quail hunting, and that's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, we're going to get into it. You know what? This is the first year since I was 12 years old that I've never bird hunted up to this point. Are you going to make that happen? I am going to bird hunt this weekend. Okay, good. I, I am going to You bird need hunt. to rectify that problem. I'm telling you what. <laughs> well, th- that, that cow tag did not help anything. Yeah, you drew you a know. cow tag, and so you uh, were focused on that. I think that we need to talk about that. No, we, we don't need, need to talk, to talk about, about the cow tag. Okay, no. well, there, there's no cow to be spoken of. No, no there is. There is. There's tag yeah. soup. No, I, I, uh, you can't get lower than having a modern firearm cow tag and not filling it. Okay. Good job, Bobby. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> he can't even blame a fall off the roof or anything. No, he can't. No, I, I can't. I can't blame it on the roof. I can't blame it on the Christmas lights. I can't blame it on anything. You know, other than I will blame it on the weather. The, it's like blaming the referees in like a game. No, no, yeah, ex- exactly, exactly. Well, they we, do we, have to come down to where the unit is. Well, yeah, that's that, important. That, that's the problem is you gotta you gotta have them in the area that you can hunt. You know that obviously didn't happen till late, and then everything was on private property, and you know it was just like a, a hit and a miss. It was like you know I was going one direction and the animals were another direction. Yeah. This is a sad, sad story. It's a so sad we're, we're gonna story. jump in. Yeah, we're gonna. <laughs> Bobby's going uh, bird hunting this weekend, so we're gonna get in some bird bird talk. Yep. Yeah, I sat down with my cousin Mike, talk about some quail hunting that we were did and are we're going to be doing at that point. So this is a great conversation. All right, we're gonna jump into that, and uh, after that, we'll be back to talk about it. 
Whether you're out killing upland birds or waterfowl, make sure you check out the Harrods Cookhouse seasonings that will help you with all your recipe needs. Our game bird and chicken is just perfect with both waterfowl and upland birds. Go to the Harrod Outdoors website to stock up today. Today, I'm on the road, actually, and I'm with my cousin Mike, and we're sitting in a garage by a fireplace. It's snow outside, and we're getting ready to go on a quail hunt. So what we thought we would do is, is talk a little bit about the quail hunt. So last weekend, well, I guess it was last week, we went out looking for some places to go on the BLM ground, and we didn't have much luck, did we, Mike? Well, I think we had, uh, <laughs> depending on how you qualify yeah. luck, yeah, we yeah. had a good time. Yeah. We didn't run into many birds. Right. I think we actually got skunked the first day. Yep, uh, we did. And then we ran into one small covey the second day and got tricked by a bunch of rooster pheasants. Yeah, we did do that too. Um, <laughs> walked some good ground. Yeah. One thing is we've been learning. I'm, you know, this is a bunch of ground out here in central Washington that we're trying to learn a little bit. Uh, some places I haven't been, places you haven't been. So it's all exploration, you know, trying to figure it out. Yeah, some other quail hunting friends, we've been discussing bird numbers. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of our consensus that they're actually on the rise in a lot of places. That doesn't mean they're going to be a lot of birds every place in the next few years. But I've been, I think I've been 10 times so far this season, maybe 11 times. And every place I've been to, I've seen birds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and in places that I haven't seen birds in the past. Mm-hmm. And then some of the burnt out areas where we thought, well, there's not going to be any birds. There's been birds in there right. this year. So uh, these things will swing and just knowing the country, what, oh. we're, what we're doing is valuable. Yeah, uh, we're, we're learning where to go and where habitat might be, mm-hmm. you know, even when a year that the birds are up. And like you said, we're having fun. You know, one of the things that we talked about before we sat down was just kind of the definition of what success is, right? So, oh, definitely. You know, and we've talked about this a lot before on this podcast and on our television show that uh, we don't necessarily measure success by, by the, the kill or the catch. Right. It's, it's bonus because we like to eat them. Yeah. But, you know, not always is that the measure of success. Would well, you, well, I agree. And I, I yeah. think as you get older, your definition of success actually changes. Yeah. I've done a lot of things in the last... 10 years that I've been right. disappointed as when I was younger right. as far as like, oh, we didn't get any. Mm-hmm. That's all I would look at. And and now, if we, you know, just like we had the last couple of days last week, they were just as enjoyable days. Oh, they you were know, They're beautiful days. We got to walk a lot of big country. Like you said, we got to see things we hadn't seen before. We talked about coming back, you know, mm-hmm. what, what's going to happen. And we'll go back to all of these places. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Success is different. Yeah. And I, I would say we had a we had successful trips we did yeah we're trying to film a, a bird hunting show which we haven't done an upland bird show you and i for a while mm-hmm. so we, you know we're hoping to film a few birds flying at least yeah, yeah. it's okay if we miss but <laughs> <laughs> we yeah, you, 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 it's hard to have a bird hunting show when yeah. you don't have birds but part of the story that's what the northwest outdoorsman has always been about it's about the story of average people doing average things yes and yeah. sometimes guess what you don't find the birds right <laughs> you yeah, know this is, pu- this is public land hunting yeah and uh, it, as, as we were talking about earlier it, it makes it that much more special when you do find oh them. boy because it's not a guided hunt it's not fed birds not planted birds not manicured birds you're yeah. going out and you're looking for wild birds right 
all the efforts ours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's yep. nobody else's. One of the things I really enjoy is watching your dogs, and they're they're here with us, and you might hear them once in a while whining a little bit because they, they seem like they need a little attention. But who do we who do we have that? Oh well, here we got Sue and Trey. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sue, I think we decided last night she's three and a half years old, and Trey is eight, eight. years old. So Sue's just coming into her prime, and Trey's just exiting her They're prime. Setters. Setters, yep, English setters, and this is my fourth. Yeah, these are my my third and fourth setters that I've had. And and for a point of discussion, why why did you choose to get setters for for this kind of hunting? Well, it's kind of the same way I started quail hunting. You know, I had duck dogs, and growing up in our family, you were around a bunch of hunters. But it, back when I was growing up, we mainly hunted pheasants and right. duck, ducks. Yep, and. Uh, and we'd shoot pheasants out of the cornfields, and we'd shoot ducks out of the ditches. Yeah. And then when exactly. I was in high school, I ran a trap line, and I just carried a shotgun with me, and basically anything that flew that was in season got shot at. Because mm-hmm. back then you could use lead on everything. So right. I strapped muskrats. I'd there'd be ducks in the water. If they got up, I shot at them. If you had to cut across land, you ran across some chuckers or huns, you shot at them. A pheasant. So I didn't have anything specific, and then. Uh, the first house my wife and I lived in, we had a neighbor from Maryland, and he raised setters and he hunted quail. He started taking me quail hunting over pointing dogs, and I really enjoyed it. And I think, let's see, I think I'd been, I think I'd had six dogs up to that point. Only one of them was a true hunting dog, and he had a litter of pups, and he said, if you want the runt, you could have her. Mm-hmm. So we took that, and I hunted with her, and... <laughs> And it just kind of, you get asked a lot when you hunt, why you hunt, you know, why you hunt, what you hunt. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure. It just became part of what I did. And, yeah. and these dogs are pointing dogs. They need covey birds. So you got a choice out here, you know, uh, quail, huns, or chuckers. Right. And we don't have tons of chucker territory, and we have a lot of quail territory. Yeah. So it just ended up being quail. And it's, yeah. It's, it, and these dogs are well suited for this kind of ground that we're hunting in. One thing that's a little different than... Like when we were kids hunting with bird dogs, is, you, know, you always try to keep your dog close. But with pointing dogs, you let them go. Right. And and they go find the birds for you and go on point. And, and uh, in this day and age, it's not a bell, but it's a GPS that you oh, keep yeah. track of them. So kind of describe all that because yeah, that's when, a little different. When it started, it was bells. And when you're in, like in the east, you watch these guys, they'll hunt uh, up in the tight timber. So those dogs are staying close to you, so you hear that bell. But out here in, in this big canyon country, that, you know, one of these dogs may take a 400, 500-yard run. Right. And if that dog goes on point and that bell went silent, you, you, were, just looking, you were just looking for a dog. You, yeah, yeah, exactly. But there was a gentleman down in Texas in an old video, and he hunted during, you know, when we had bells. And he actually had a collie dog that would go find his pointing dog oh, for yeah. him and then, you know, <laughs> bring him to it. So, but... Once they started getting collars, it made sound. Mm-hmm. And, you know, re- my first collars, you could press a button and it'd, it'd send out a whistle so you could locate mm-hmm. your dog. And if they went on point, it would start whistling. But now with the new GPS collars, it's a whole different yeah. game. We can see where they go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see it right on. I mean, I wear a you watch. watch, don't you? Yeah. I wear a watch. Uh, yeah. And it just tells me the distance and the direction that they're at. And it vibrates when they, they go. stop. Yeah, when they go on point, yeah. it, it vibrates and Basically, just as your dog's on point and he's over there 160 yeah. yards. and Which is a lot of fun because you're like, oh, 
they're on point. Let's go. You know, yeah, exactly. the hunt is on. You know, what what do they got pointed up over there? Exactly. There's a lot those pieces of equipment can do if you want to really pay attention to it. You could you could record all the data every time they go on point. You could hit a button, it records mm -hmm. that spot in the GPS location. You could put it on your computer. I don't do much of that. I do just keep track of how much distance the dogs have traveled sure. in a day and. And yeah. what were you saying? You're, you you kind of keep them under a certain number of miles, don't you? Yeah, I think last week when I got home, I figured the first day we ran ran them about 12 miles, and the second day we run about 16 miles. Yeah. And uh, for a dog that's almost nine, that's a lot of miles. Yeah, it is. Um, and she, you know it too. By the time we get back to the rigs, she, yeah, she's sort up. She's sort up. Now yeah. Sue, on the other hand, yeah, no, she would run the next day, and she'd run further than that if you let her. Yeah, but it's you know just longevity of your dog. Mm-hmm good yeah. idea to to do it that way so we take her home and she sleeps for a couple of days and then she's yeah. ready to go again and one of the things we said before is just is about as much about the dogs and watching the dogs work as it is anything oh and, yeah and that's part of that success i think oh definitely i love watching them work you get at you know i got my hunter safety pass or the class the first year it was offered for me i think i was 12 so mm -hmm. that means i've been licensed for what 30 six years now i've bought hunting license and like we we're talking you know the definition of it changes but you get asked a lot over your hunting career by people why do you hunt mm -hmm. yeah and it's always kind of funny to me because a guy that golfs and I, i'm not picking on golfers because i golf a bit myself but he'll say well i don't, I don't understand why you hunt mm -hmm. i don't even i don't know where that question comes from from someone <laughs> who golfs because you, you, you like you like come up with some poetic yeah answer that like it was some sort of existential question but it's just enjoyable well it, and it's what we grew up doing i mean you know this is part of the whole we are outdoorsman thing that oh, you and yeah. i worked on it's innate it's sort of ingrained it's what we it's what we've always done it's we enjoy doing it yeah it's part of who we are it's uh, kind of what defines us i mean i think well yeah and if you peel it if you peel it apart there's there's layers to it that you can sit down and you think about because it's the dogs yeah you know i've had lots of dogs and you enjoy the dogs they all have their personalities mm -hmm, yeah uh, and they just it's almost like getting to know people in a way yeah it really is and yeah. how they're going to act so you got the dogs and then then you have the equipment and then you have the guns and then you have the maps mm -hmm. and and it, and you sit down certain times a year and you you plan next year mm -hmm. and you talk to people and you say let's get together and let's mm -hmm. hunt so yeah. There, there's a lot of layers to it, but in the end, it just ends up being an enjoyable time, and most of the time, it's with people yeah. that you enjoy being around. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I think if you were a solo hunter and you were just going out just to kill stuff, I don't think it'd be half as fun as. No, it's the whole package deal for me personally. It's all those things that you said, and I enjoy providing my own food. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a kid who grew up on a cattle ranch and. You know, we always had beef, and I didn't really need, I didn't need wild game, right. but we did, and that's what we ate, and that's what we always enjoyed eating. And at this point, after my, and your math's a little wrong, by the way, is 40-some years. 40-some years. Yeah, since you were that old. I know you're trying to make yourself <laughs> younger, but 40-some-odd years since we were little guys. Well, little that's guys. right, 46. Yeah. yeah. So, but in all that time, that's pretty much how I fed my family yeah. and it, to me it's kind of important to do that that way you know where it came from you mm -hmm. know how it was handled and it's good for you and well, I, you can't beat that 
I think if uh, if I was looking to feed my family, I'd choose something other than quail. <laughs> so, and, well. and I might and I might I might get lessons on being a better shot. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. We wouldn't choose quail hunting no. for trying to feed. No, you you uh you go out quail hunting and you run across a porcupine that you try to keep your dogs away and you think of that you, porcupine that'd be what would be Yeah, you'd yeah. eat the porcupine, <laughs> but uh so one of the things I think uh, is pretty neat about what we're doing is we're we're learning about all this places in sagebrush country, you know. And when mo when people go out there and look, they they don't they don't see what we see, I don't think. Yeah, it's almost like uh, when people talk about the flyover states in the United States yeah. who, who aren't on the ground. Right. Right? Yeah. Th these are drive-by places. Yeah, they're drive-bys. Like, well, there's nothing there. Well, mm -hmm. no, no, there's not. And uh, you had a pretty good story about your what your wife, Terry, said. Right. Oh, out. yeah. She's pretty much my hunting partner, although she doesn't carry a gun. She right. takes care of everything when we go out in the field. And she, she actually holds one of the pieces of the GPS for the dog so she can keep mm -hmm. track of how far they are, what direction. And she'll look at the mileage and tell me, you know, we should pull them in and give them water mm -hmm. on, on particular days. <clears throat> so we've spent a lot of time this year, and we've walked multiple areas out here in the central area of the state. And uh, she was raised up in the timber. Her house was in dug fir and, and uh, cedar and mm -hmm. pretty tight confines. And she was one of the people that never, you know, she knew where I come from, and she couldn't believe people would live there, and it yeah. wasn't pretty. And we were out walking the other day, and we just got back. We were up on a little uh, hillside, and it looked over a draw and then across. And she she just stopped. She said, I don't think I, I ever realized I could appreciate sagebrush. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, and I was telling her on the way home, like, I had that experience. Even though I was raised in sagebrush, it was just my home. It wasn't. Like right. I appreciated it or didn't appreciate it. It was just what I was familiar with. But about four years ago, uh, I was hunting in the canyon country, and I had uh, a dog. She's 12 now. She has cancer. She hasn't hunted in the last three years because of her cancer. And then Trey, who, you know, she was five or four back then, and we climbed up a, a slope, and there was a little bowl on top of the slope. And we hit birds up there, and the birds had already been separated, so the dogs were up there and they were on point they just kept pointing birds and you'd step in and flush a bird and maybe you would hit one maybe you'd miss one yeah yeah um but this went on for 15 minutes mm -hmm. of dog on point go over flush and it's kind of nice because you know these dogs aren't natural retrievers but if they see the bird fall they'll retrieve it for you and it was that kind of area where they could see the bird fall they'd go get it and bring it to hand and you'd look over your other dog was on point mm -hmm. and uh, as it ended I, I was up on a a high plateau and I looked over and you can see miles of canyon country and it was almost emotional mm. I thought I have not paid enough attention yeah. to this because <laughs> yeah. the layers and the folds and everything that you could see as you go across with your eye you know leading in the directions and you know you could take off and walk forever feels like forever doesn't it, it does yeah, it, really and, does. Uh, <laughs> it, yeah it was, it, it's probably the one thing in hunting so far that is a memory that I, I'll t I could tell. I'll tell the story all the time to people. Mm -hmm. They'll say, "What's the best thing you ever happened?" I don't even know how many birds we killed. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know whether we got three, whether we got six. Uh, I don't know how many times the dogs were on point, but just the whole picture. Yeah, that whole experience, mm -hmm. right? And I think it takes something like that, or just like my wife last week standing up there and she was seeing it. Yeah, right, because yep. she looked exactly and she saw it <laughs> and she experienced it. I'm like, "Yep, that's." It's that's the whole thing yeah we both 
we both grew up in sagebrush country. There was timber where I grew up, but right where I lived, I was, mm -hmm. I was in the sagebrush, and we spent all our time as a kid there. I'm like you. I think for a long time it was just where you lived, and it's just what you do. One thing about sagebrush, I'll say that when you have these kind of experiences, all you got to do is smell it. Right. And all those memories kind of flood in, you know. That's yep. the pretty neat thing about sagebrush. It's that smell just gets you every time. Yeah, when I run my trap lines, we'd, we'd set out a few coyote traps. So you didn't want to lay any scent down. So I had an old pickup, and I just had sage laid on the floorboards mm -hmm. and on the seat, and I kept yeah. my clothes stuffed in a sack full of sage. Yeah. So that smell, every time I smell it, yeah. I, I think about all of all that. All those, yeah. You know, not, they're not direct thoughts. They're just yeah. reminiscent on, yeah. on all of that. And, and, and People who were raised in sage, you watch them, and they'll all do the same thing. They'll go buy a piece of sage, and they'll pull off a couple of leaves, and they'll roll them in their fingers, and they'll smell no. it. And they don't say anything <laughs> to you. They just do it. Yeah. It does trigger something. It does. A lot, lot of memories, for sure. When, when we were both younger, and our grandparents lived in Vail, mm -hmm. and we'd go down there and pheasant hunt, and we'd right. also go out in the Owyhee country, and we'd chucker hunt or just kick around out there. Right, right. And... That was kind of some of my first hunting experiences with my dad and friends and family and everything out there. And so for me, when I'm in sagebrush country, I almost always think of the Owyhees because that was sort of the first like impression I had of grand sagebrush landscapes and mm -hmm. all the chuckers we used to chase when I was a kid and all those experiences, you know, that almost seemed like yesterday. And especially when you smell sagebrush, you're just like, oh. Yeah, and you almost would hesitate to go back there because when you're young, yeah. it was such big country. It was. And things were, you, you're following guys who took strides twice as big as oh, yours, yeah. you yeah. know, and you didn't have very good equipment. No, not and, at all. And they'd go up a hillside and you're just hustling to keep up. And Ronnie, uh, my brother, and I, we went down there last winter and we actually boated in on the Owyhee Reservoir and camped, a winter camp in December, mm -hmm. which... You know, sometimes people might wonder how bright we are. Well, <laughs> I'm not, sh I'm not sure how bright we were because it ended up getting really cold. Right. <laughs> and a couple, couple times we're like, man, this is cold. This is a lot colder than I thought it was gonna be. We're, we're supposed to be in the Wyhees. It's supposed to be warm, you know. But that country is so beautiful. I kind of forgotten just how grand it is. And right. Oh man, there weren't very many birds. Same kind of same experience. Trey, now come on. We go hunting tomorrow, but uh, I I love that. I'd love to go back down and just spend some more time hunting in that country. Right. Well, I don't know if the question's how bright you are. You got a really good story out of it. <laughs> yeah, we you do. Know, that's kind of what you. That's what all this comes out to is like, how did it end? Yeah. You know, and, oh. uh, and if you'd went down there and it had been warm and it went perfectly, probably wouldn't have been a good there story. Wouldn't be much story at all. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't tell you about it, bro. <laughs> All right, so tomorrow we got a new place. We're going to meet up with a buddy of mine, and we're going to try a different spot. Well, we think there might be more birds. They're a little bit smaller places. How's that going to work with the dogs, you think? Well, it, it depends on how fast they find birds. Yeah. Because one thing about these dogs is they'll, they'll, they'll work as tight as the birds are. Mm -hmm. You know, like these are running dogs. If they go out and they hit birds within 100 yards, then mm. they'll start working right in front of you. Right. So it all depends on what we find, obviously. Yeah, and, and a lot of times in tight areas, I, I may only pull out one dog at a time. Because mm -hmm. sometimes these dogs will 
get excited and if the wind is not right they'll run over birds and you don't want to bump birds out of a small area mm -hmm. and you want to keep them in there and i mean that is the nice thing about quails they'll usually just get up and separate and go down mm -hmm. and, yeah uh, i've worked them on in small areas before and it, it's worked out great when you end up watching this episode in the future everybody will get to see the rest of the story he has been getting into a few birds with his dog he's got a lab saw quite a few had a good walk yeah kind of excited about it yeah i, th I think probably flushing dog that works close in a small area is probably a better dog yeah but we'll give it we'll, we'll give, give it, it a go you know, yeah no matter what happens we're still gonna be hunting absolutely <laughs> gotta love that upland hunting well That'll probably do it for this episode. Thanks for sitting down with me oh, by yeah. the, the fire fun. and dogs. Yeah, fun stuff. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to sit down with Mike. You know, one of the things I wanted to discuss a little bit was his, was his dogs. He's a lot of fun hunting over pointing dogs. He's been doing it for quite a while, so it was fun to hear him talk about the dogs and all the gear that he uses. The rest of the story we filmed, like we were talking about in yeah. the interview, because that hadn't happened yet, and we had a better hunt. So you'll just have to... We just have to trust you. You have to stand by. <laughs> So you can see the rest of the story. Oh, great. We got to wait till he airs it. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Anticipation. But yeah, we got into some more birds. And then after I put the camera down, I went and did a little solo hunt myself and got into some birds in another spot. So there's some quail around. Yeah. And like Mike said, you know, the population numbers are, have gone up. And that's pretty apparent to me as well. There's some places that have good quail populations. And so, you know, there's some good hunting to do. You just got to get out there and look for it. With, with the changes in CRP programs, with the changes in the weather, you know, there, there's there's so many things that go into that whole bird population. You get a wet, cold yeah. spring, you know, the birds don't hatch well. It seems like the quail have done extremely well yeah. over the last few years. They have. I've seen, obviously, more quail in the backyard than I've ever seen in my life. Everybody else's backyard, but, you know, out on the hill, I mean, there seems to be a, a good number of birds. Yeah, I think it depends on where you go. And one of the things we're going to talk about later is the habitat needs for upland birds. Sure. And our buddy Eric, which we've talked to about walleye fishing, but he also does a lot of stuff with private lands habitat. Uh, he talks about the importance of brush rows and, and brush piles and just sure. those important habitat components that help build quail populations. So you're going to kind of pay attention for that. We'll be talking about it in the TV show and, and, and in an upcoming episode, we'll be talking about those things with Eric. Those are the kinds of things I think are in the area that Mike and I were hunting or really contribute to the higher populations of quail. Uh, there's nothing like upland bird hunting with a dog you know at this point i'm solo because my old dog passed away but my cousin still has him our buddy eric has him my brother has him and so a lot of the upland hunting that i've been doing in the last couple of years has been with all these people anyway and i just so much enjoy hunting over dogs sure and each dog has a different style and you and i were kind of talking yeah. about that like yeah. when i grew up a lot of the dogs that we hunted with we hunted them close you know, I had a lab, and I used her for upland birds. Same kind of thing. She hunted close. Eric's dog's a lab, Addie, and she hunts close. And these pointing dogs, whether they're English setters or English pointers, they range a little bit. And they, they will move. They will move, and, and a really good dog that's well-disciplined will move, get into the wind, find the birds, 
put them on point and then you can go up to them. But if you get in a situation where the birds are running or they've been shot out a lot and yeah. you get a pointing dog out there, you know, they, you can have birds flush and not even get on them. Oh, absolutely. And you had some experiences like that when you were younger, didn't you? A friend of ours had a, had an English pointer and, and boy, that, that dog, like I said, <laughs> it was kind of funny to to slow her down right off the bat yeah he'd tie a 20 foot log and chain on her <laughs> i'm not kidding and, and of course he'd lose the log and chain right yeah the dog would lose the log and chain but but bottom line is is she would finally slow yeah. down after you know the first hour or so right heck i grew up with i had a dark beagle oh yeah <laughs> yeah we'd take the beagle up on the hill with it. <laughs> that's awesome and, and the, be- the beagle would get on birds and it would start baying, and the birds didn't know what to do. And you'd have to go up and kick the darn bush to get them to come like, out. What the hell is that? <laughs> Having a hunting over a good dog it, it yeah. is a lot of fun. Well, it just I really mean, makes the hunt. It, it it really does. Yeah. It really does. Because watching the dogs work is yep. yep. What's the really fun part about it? I mean, obviously we, we like shooting birds because we like eating them and all that kind of stuff. But the the dogs really make it. They really yeah. They really round it out. You know, when you were mentioning that dog with the chain, it reminded me, we hunted with a couple friends of ours way back in the 80s, and they had pointing dogs. We don't, Before we'd get to the chucker places, we would just let those dogs out, and he'd let them run for miles behind the pickup. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he'd just let them run. You oh, know? absolutely. Because if you didn't let them run, when you first got there, they would just take off all this bent-up energy, you know. That oh, yeah. They, yeah. Pent up energy that they had, you know, man, they were just running. You were like, oh God, there goes all the birds. But if you'd if you'd get all that energy out of them for a few miles, by the time we got there, yeah. they'd actually settle down and hunt. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, there's some stories. Oh, there tell. are, there are. <laughs> all right, well, we're gonna take off for today. That was a good show. Well, maybe next year, Bobby on the the cow. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. 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 Yeah. I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure right. he'll draw it again. You know what? I, I'll be back on the blacklist again. I won't get drawn for another you know, 15 <laughs> yeah. years. So. Oh, there's that Bob Lomas name again. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Still trying. Still right. trying. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna take off. We'll be back next week with another episode. We have Eric Broughton on the show next week. We'll be talking about getting into uh, show season and uh, a bunch of other fun stuff. So um, until next week, we will talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs>